welcome to this episode of Wall Street to Main Street. I'm your host, Emily Advani, here with my co-host, finance expert and author, and my husband, Ruben Advani. Hi, Ruben. Hello, Emily. So we took a little bit of a summer hiatus, but we are now back, and it feels good to be back. It really does. I miss this. I mean, I see you every day, but I missed us talking about finance and the economy. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to our hosts and guests and not necessarily to our employers, organizations, committees, or other groups or individuals. The content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, medical, or other advice. Well, there is a lot to unpack when it comes to finance and the economy right now. So Ruben, I'm going to start with earnings. According to a recent Bloomberg article, in the last three or so months, 80% of S&P 500 companies failed to offer earnings guidance. What will investors expect this quarter, Ruben? Well, we're still in the early stages of the um, earnings season, and we're seeing a mixed bag. For example, banks reported uh, just this past week, some reporting better than others. For example, Goldman Sachs did reasonably well, largely because of their trading revenue. As many of our listeners know, the second quarter was characterized by really one overriding factor, which was volatility. It's been a roller coaster ride with the pandemic and different interpretations around the pandemic what it means for the economy, and of course, what it means for companies that list in the financial markets. Goldman was able to offset a number of their businesses that uh, suffered as a result of the pandemic, largely through trading revenues. So for Goldman, it was actually a pretty good quarter. Now, other banks haven't fared so well. Wells Fargo and other commercial lenders have struggled a bit. So where we we go from here remains to be seen. It'll be interesting to see in the coming weeks how some of the... Um, uh, technology companies, how they fared, how some of the manufacturing companies and how much some of the consumer product companies have fared. It's really anyone's guess. And that is uh, why many companies made that astute decision earlier this year to simply not offer earnings guidance, because it's very difficult to guide when you're dealing with something like uh, a global health crisis. And I was going to ask just that as sort of a reminder, the reason companies halted in offering earnings guidance was because of the COVID-19 pandemic, correct? Yes, yes, that's exactly right. That there's too much volatility, it was so many unknowns that it was hard to offer that expert. Precisely, and you have to really think about it from the key drivers behind earnings, revenue and expenses. In this case, neither of which is predictable. Companies don't know what their revenues look like because they don't know what their customers will be spending on or if their customers will be spending. At the same time, companies don't know what what they will be allocating towards their budgets because if things get really bad, they slash their budgets. If things start to improve, they can expand those budgets. The bottom line is that this is a situation that continues to evolve in real time. And many companies simply took a step backwards and said, we can't predict. Unlike um, uh, our, our normal quarter to quarter guidance, we're in a situation now where we would rather just not offer any guidance because there are too many unforeseen variables. 
And while we're talking about the second quarter, um, this quarter just ended, as you know, just a few weeks ago on June 30th. And stocks finished that quarter their best in two decades. What can we expect with the stock market and the economy going forward? My simple answer, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. And I think I'm not alone in that thinking. There are people far smarter than me who spent more time studying finance and the economy, and uh, even they are struggling to come up with answers right now. There are key drivers that I'm happy to highlight what people in this space are looking to uh, for guidance, but to offer any kind of distinct prediction is really just guesswork right now. I think what people are looking towards, number one, is how things play out regarding management or treatment around the coronavirus. At the very least, people are hopeful that there will be protocols in place such that even if this global pandemic continues for an extended period of time, we as a society will be able to manage it through social distancing, through preventative measures, we'll be able to create some semblance of normalcy around how we run our day-to-day lives and more importantly, how we um, engage in commerce. So that's sort of the baseline hope. Then there's a much more optimistic hope that um, there will be treatments in place so that any impact felt at the, uh, the base human level will not be as severe as it was as recently as a few months ago. In other words, treatments that, um, that, that you know, prevent people who are afflicted with COVID, who test positive for it, uh, treatments that will help them recover faster. And finally, what we're all hoping for is a vaccine. And there seems to be some promising results already. The question is um, really when will a vaccine take shape in mass? When will it be ready for public use? Will that be later this year? Will it be early next year? Will it be later next year? And how will that really play out? There are no guarantees with any of these scenarios, but people are hopeful. So I think that's that's kind of what's what's driving all of this. There are some Secondary variables in all of this, of course, this being an election year, people are asking a lot of questions around what that outcome might look like and how that might affect the, um, the economy and the financial market. But the primary concern for most people right now is what happens around COVID. It's hard to have really any discussion about anything, especially the economy without talking about the COVID-19 pandemic. Even when you talk to friends and family, it seems like you can't get away from it no matter what you try to talk about. And again, we mentioned that this pandemic really marked the second quarter in so many ways. So what, what led to it finishing on such a high note? That seems a little disconnected, doesn't it? It does. <clears throat> and I myself have been trying to process this myself. It's a bit of a conundrum. My take on it is that less bad is the new good. And I think people realized that any signs of improvement in terms of cases, in terms of mortality, any, any positive was seen as a step in the right direction. And I think people also realize that there were certain sectors of the economy that could continue to perform and even perform well in the midst of a pandemic. The whole idea around work from home turned out to be far better than people imagined. You and I talk about this. We're both working from home and 
Uh, frankly, we, <laughs> we're going crazy, but at the same time, we're able to get our work done. And there are many others like us who recognized that life can go on. You can, you can continue to work and be productive even if you're not going into an office. And then around that, a whole ecosystem has emerged around telecommuting, the technology that goes into facilitating that sort of virtual workplace collaboration has really taken off. And of course, the companies behind that, their stock prices have taken off. So I think at the end of the day, people realized that this is a, a tough situation on so many levels, but in some form, life can continue for the foreseeable future, and things are probably not as bad as they had predicted at the start of this pandemic earlier in the year. And, you know, one of your adages is that the stock market is not the economy and vice versa. So just because the stock market is up doesn't necessarily mean that the economy is doing well, right? Well, that's, that's, that's right. To a large degree, it will take some time for us to really gauge the impact on the economy because, you know, we're still in the, the like, as I said, early, in the early stages of this, this very terrible situation. And while the stock market performed relatively well, the, the overall economic impact has yet to be seen. Empirically, you know, we look around, we see small business owners who are suffering immensely. We know of people who own restaurants and small manufacturing companies, and they have uh, seen their worst year in decades. Many of them are going out of business. So that's troubling. It's troubling. Now, what that means for the broader economy we'll have to wait a couple of quarters to really see how this plays out. And number two, we also have to understand that the economy uh, to a large degree was propped up by major unprecedented stimulus measures. So that certainly has helped. Few can deny the fact that it has at least helped in the near term, but the question is what will be the long-term effects? Was that enough help to get us over a hump so that businesses can get back to doing what they do and continuing to, um, to grow the, their businesses? again, remains to be seen. There, there are differing views on it, that the stimulus wasn't nearly enough or the stimulus did just enough to get us over the hump. Again, we'll have to wait a few quarters to see how that plays out. Right. Or did the stimulus just prolong the inevitable for some companies and sectors of the economy that even with a little bit of help may not be able to recover in a way they thought they would be? Correct. Correct. It, was it simply a Band-Aid uh, or was it really a smart measure taken through decisive action. Well, getting away from lows and speaking of highs, Tesla just posted an all-time high of more than $1,700 per share. Now, when we were creating notes for this podcast, it was even a few hundred dollars lower. And by the time we got to getting to this episode, it was already up. I mean, $1,700 a share, Ruben? I mean, what does this tell us about Tesla and really, speaking of the economy, the overall global economy? Well, <laughs> Tesla is a fun company to talk about because it, it represents so much, so much more than just auto manufacturing. It represents the hope for the future, largely driven by innovation. Tesla is a company that is involved with many things. It's involved with solar energy. It's involved with alternative sources of power. And Elon Musk, who helms Tesla, is one of the greatest innovators the world has ever seen, at least in modern times. He's also one of the most controversial leaders the world has ever seen of any business. 
That's a different story. Maybe that's a topic for another podcast. But the bottom line is that Tesla has something akin to a cult following. And I say that in a, in a, in a, in a flattering way. I, I respect Tesla for how they engage people, not just their customers, but their investors. People are very passionate about Tesla. And I think that has certainly helped drive the stock price higher. I think if you, you try to think of it, of it objectively from you know just a financial valuation standpoint, something that we frequently reference on this show, it doesn't really make sense. Tesla's in a category in and of itself. You have to sort of throw out the standard valuation paradigm. Tesla's a kind of company that you really cannot value based on comparable multiples. Tesla is the kind of company that you would struggle to value on what's called a discounted cash flow model. A discounted cash flow model is one of the most commonly used methods of valuation, and it values companies based on the present value of future cash flows. In a company like Tesla, it's very hard to predict what those cash flows will be. And how do you determine the, 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 the discount rate, which ultimately measures risk associated with those cash flows? You simply don't have enough information to predict. Now, the people who buy cash, Tesla will say, well, you know what? I don't really care because in five years from now, Tesla will be involved with just about every aspect of innovative technology, and that's worth investing in. So people who buy Tesla are really buying into Elon Musk's vision for the world and his ability to use Tesla as a platform to change the world. Well, because Tesla has yet to post a profit, which is normally something investors would look to when deciding to buy stock in a company. Generally speaking, yes. You want to see annual profits, something that, that Tesla has yet to display, although they've, they've hinted at the fact that they just might do that. But even if that's the case, the multiple assigned to this company, even with some level of profitability, would just be, be sky high. And there are very few companies that have been able to, to do what Tesla has done in terms of maintaining these lofty valuations for an extended period of time. The one exception being Amazon. Amazon, in fact, was unprofitable for many, many years, and the stock price continued to rise higher and higher. And when questioned about it, Jeff Bezos said, well, I'm not interested in profits right now. I'm interested in investing in this business and growing it into something much bigger than what it is right now. And that's exactly what he did. He got into um, web hosting. He got into um, data analytics. He got into other areas of online retail. And he's built a formidable empire, quite possibly one of the, the greatest retail empires. Well, it's, it's really much more than just retail. Uh, one of the greatest technology empires the world has ever seen. But there were people who questioned his tactics years ago and also questioned the valuation of Amazon. So it's possible that Tesla could be the next Amazon. We'll, we'll have to see. But people who are betting on that, well, they're, they're taking on some, some pretty, pretty hefty risk, but they may be rewarded for it. Well, and for once, I think you actually read my mind. Not normally when the dishes are all piled in the sink, and I'm <laughs> thinking, why won't he come over here and just clean up the kitchen for me? But you read my mind on this one. I was going to ask you to compare it to Amazon because that seemed like the most recent example that I could think of where a company wasn't posting profits but was doing quite well um, in terms of its value in the stock market. Um, so I'm glad that you, you touched on that one. But in a global pandemic, when it comes to Tesla, are, are people buying cars? Well, we're going to have to wait 
about a week to find out because Tesla will be reporting its, um, its earnings very soon and we'll have some clarity around what they actually sold in, this, in the midst of this global pandemic. But I, I can all but assure you that if they post strong sale numbers, sales numbers, um, it's gonna bode very well for this company. And I think it'll answer that question. Perhaps people do. There are, there are people in this economy who have managed to uh, succeed in spite of all these economic challenges, people who work in certain industries that are growing in the midst of a pandemic. Those are people that possibly are buying cars, they're finding good deals, good rates of financing. So yeah, it's quite possible that people are buying cars. I don't know at, at what levels, we'll find out very soon. Well, that's something to look out for, those Tesla earnings. Um, and Ruben, what else can we look ahead to as we're starting the third quarter? And sort of what are your hopes for the third and fourth quarter here? It's a big question. Yes. Well, I think it's it's consistent with what I've been saying in our earlier podcasts uh, this year, which is that I, I would really love to see some direction in terms of how we as a society manage this pandemic. I'd love to see strong treatments, proven treatments. I'd love to see um, access to testing, near ubiquitous access to, to testing. And I'd love to see a vaccine. I think first and foremost, I'm focused on how we can get through this pandemic. It has been devastating on so many levels. And sure, we focus on the world of finance and economics, but uh, on this podcast, but the reality is that the, the human toll it's taken on, on our society and, and just about every other society globally has been catastrophic. So I would really like to see some substantial improvement, first and foremost. Now, if that can happen, I think many of these other things can fall into place. I think that there will be a long road to recovery, but I, I see a lot of um, opportunities for economic and financial growth. As we spoke about on an earlier podcast, a great deal of innovation has come about during these challenging times. And I think we're going to see the realization of that uh, innovation in terms of great products that enhance our lives. So I'd really like to see that happen as well. Uh, and finally, most importantly, I'd love to see people who uh, are out of work get back to work. I think that would be a, a great thing for everyone. And my hope is that uh, with the few positive developments in the coming months, that could happen. Fingers crossed. Now, this pandemic and its you know, effect on our lives remains a moving target. But do you have advice first for people on Wall Street and then for people on Main Street? How do we navigate, continue to navigate this uncertainty if all those things you just mentioned didn't fall into place as quickly as we, as we are hoping for? I think the simple lesson here is proceed with caution. Be smart about the risks you take, whether that's personal risk around going outside. You, you and I talk about this around the dinner table. I think it's absolutely imperative people who absolutely need to get back to work or need to go out. Whatever you're doing, practice the appropriate social distancing protocol. I, I respect people's right to live their lives as individuals based on their own set of values, but please don't put people at risk. Do it in a smart way. There are ways, we, we're now learning, there are ways to still go about your life, but also protect yourself and others. Um, as, it, as it pertains to investing, well, I think you've got to be um, thoughtful. I think you have to be somewhat conservative. That's not saying 
hide all your money under the mattress, but it means if you're gonna take on risk, take calculated risks and recognize that we're not out of the woods yet. I think that's the best advice I can give anyone. Just be smart because there are many, many unknowns ahead of us. Well, Ruben, there's a lot to look out for coming up in the third and fourth quarters. And as always, we appreciate your expertise and insight on all things business and finance. And again, this has been another episode of Wall Street to Main Street. And I'm your host, Emily Vani, along with my co-host, finance expert and author, and my husband, Ruben. Ruben, thank you. Thank you, Emily. I have to run now to go do the dishes. Mm-hmm.